Hey, good morning. And I want to say welcome to everyone if you're new to us or just visiting or you don't even know why you're here. We're glad you're here. Amen. Yeah, amen. Um, how many of you have ever been on a cruise? Can you see your hand way up? That, that's more than I would have expected. How many of you would like to go on a cruise sometime? Okay. How many of you would go on a cruise if you got it free? If you had a guarantee, you'd have good weather, calm seas, you wouldn't be seasick, you wouldn't get lost on the big ship, and you wouldn't get tired of eating all that free, never-ending pizza. How many of you would uh, sign up for that? Okay. Well, I got good news for you. You've won. I'm taking you on a cruise today. Isn't that cool? Yeah. And to get started, we're going to go right to Scripture, and you're going to open your Bibles to Acts chapter 27. Acts 27, if you would. Um, I've got several verses of Scripture. I'm jumping around a little bit. It's kind of a condensed version, and so I'm not putting it on the screen because I don't want to totally, totally confuse you. So if you have a Bible and someone near you doesn't, please share if you can. And if you have your Bible app or whatever you're using to go to Scripture, just get that open. And as I'll repeat that again, we're going to start at verse 1 of Acts chapter 27. So what I'm going to do is come down through those verses of Acts chapter 27, and I'm going to I'm going to hit a verse here and a verse there and part of a verse here and so on. So that's why I'm asking you to follow in whatever you have. And if you don't have anything, if you wouldn't mind, just kind of follow along in your mind and make note of what it is we're studying here and how we're going to make this into a really important thing for every person. I don't know when the last time was I ever came into a service like this and said, you know what, there's a message in the message today for every single person on the property, every person in the room, wherever you are, wherever you've been, whatever you've done, whatever your track history, whatever ever, there's something here for you. So I'm just praying, and I've prayed to God that the Holy Spirit would show you what it is. Well, I'm reading... Uh, from the NIV, I'll call it abridged, and I'm starting at verse 1, and here we go. Um, when, I w when it was decided that we would sail for Italy, everybody still with me? Oh, good. Paul and some other prisoners were handed over to a centurion named Julius. Now, before I go to verse 2, who's writing this? Who's writing this? Luke, all right, get that in your mind. He's talking about Paul and some other prisoners handed over to a centurion. That's uh, key to the, to the story. Verse 2, we read, We boarded a ship from Adramichium, and we put out to sea. Drop down to verse 9, if you would. Paul warned them, who's them, the people at Crete, or while they were at Crete. Here's what he said in verse 10. Men, I can see that our voyage is going to be disastrous. What you want to hear on the first day of a cruise. And it's going to bring great loss to ship and cargo and to our own lives also. Verse 14. Before, before very long, a wind of hurricane force called the Northeaster swept down from the island. Verse 15. 
The ship was caught by the storm and could not head into the wind, so we gave way to it and were driven along. you got to picture this in your mind. In verse 20, when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and the storm continued raging. Now, if you don't see the sun or the stars for many days, you know you're in trouble. We finally gave up all hope of being saved. I want to read that again because that's pertinent to the story. We finally gave up all hope of being saved. Verse 21, Paul stood up before them and said, Men, you should have taken my advice not to sail from Crete. Then you would have spared yourselves this damage and loss. Verse 22, but now I urge you to keep up your courage because not one of you will be lost. Only the ship will be destroyed. Verse 23, last night an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve stood beside me. Verse 24, and said... Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial. Remember, this is what's going on here. They're getting, trying to get him to Rome so he can stand before Caesar. And God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. Verse 25. So keep up your courage, man, for I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. Verse 26. Nevertheless, we must run aground on some island. 27, fearing that we would be dashed against the rock, or on the 14th night, I, I left that out, verse 27, on the 14th night, about midnight, the sailors sensed they were approaching land. And then 29, fearing that we would be dashed against the rocks, they dropped four anchors from the stern and they prayed for daylight. And if you don't know what throwing four anchors from the stern means, if you're a mariner past or you don't know exactly, what they're trying to do is slow that vessel down and hope those anchors dig in so at least they can be in one place and not toss to and fro and hit the rocks and all the rest. And then it says they, they dropped four anchors from the stern and they prayed for daylight. Let me just stop there for a minute. Have you ever prayed for daylight? Huh? You ever been in a dark hour? You ever experienced the midnight of the soul? And you just prayed for a ray of light. Something. And they prayed for daylight. Verse 39, when daylight came, verse 41, the ship struck a sandbar and ran aground. Verse 43, but the centurion wanted to spare Paul's life, and he ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and get to land. And verse 44, the final verse, in this way, everyone reached land safely. I read that again a couple times yesterday, and I wrote this note beside it. Wow, what a storm. And then I thought this thought that I wanted to share with you. We all face storms. Some are physical. Hurricanes, tornadoes, earthquakes, floods. Others are personal a death in the family, job problems, marital difficulties, child-raising headaches, physical, medical, financial, on and on and on and on it goes. We all face 
storms. You know, storms are part of life. If I were to ask you today, in all of your years, regardless of how old or young you are, have you ever seen a storm of any kind? And everyone's going to say what? Yes. Because storms are part of life. So the question as we think of personal storms is this. Not if they will come, or when they will come, or in what form they will come. Here's the question. How will you respond to your storm when it hits? Now, the Apostle Paul found himself in a life-threatening storm. Fourteen days, that ship was in a raging sea. That's a storm. When the crew panicked, Paul stood up and shared the anchors that held his life secure, and he wanted them to know that he was okay. That night, says in verse 29, they cast four anchors and they, King James says they wished for the day, or the version I read says they prayed for daylight. Those four anchors kept them through the storm until daybreak. So let's look for a while. Let's look at Paul's mighty anchors. Yes, I want to examine the four spiritual anchors that Paul threw out there that will keep you and will keep me through all of life's storms. And so the first anchor, if you're notating, is relationship with God. And this really is embracing the knowledge of God's character. I mean, from ancient biblical history, we would have to ask, well, what was it that kept Job from turning against God when he lost his family, his possessions, his wealth, his, his uh, standing in the community, his name, his, all possessions, his health. Here's what, here's what kept him. He knew his God. What kept Joseph, innocent Joseph, probably no one in Scripture more innocent than Joseph during the years in which he was enslaved and imprisoned? I'll tell you what kept him, his relationship with God. What kept David, you might ask, during those years when Saul was pursuing him, and Saul and his men were pursuing David for one purpose, and that was to kill him, to put him away, because it was already announced that he'd been ordained to be the next king after Saul. I'll tell you what kept him during all those turbulent times, his heart for his God. And he's often described as a man after God's own heart. When writing his second letter to Timothy, the Apostle Paul had already been arrested. This is the second time he'd been arrested by Rome, and they want him back, and he's going to stand now before Caesar because he's appealed as not only a member of the Jewish family, but also as a Roman citizen. And he said, I deserve to be heard by the highest court of appeal in the land, who would be Caesar himself. So here's where he's heading. The grim specter of death is before Paul. The executioner's axe has been sharpened and would soon fall. But Paul wasn't afraid. He wrote this to Timothy in 2 Timothy 1.12. I know 
whom I've believed, and I'm persuaded that he's able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. What a ringing affirmation. When, when you know God, and I mean really know God, and I want to speak to that, and you know his character, you know he will do no injustice, and he will, no, he will do no wrong ever, ever, ever. Job chapter 13, verse 15, Job says, Though he slay me, I will trust him. That's knowing the character of God. So that brings me to a point of question here. First off, we must come to know God personally, and I need to throw the question out to you, and I hope you can grab on it if you need. I want to ask you this then. Do you know him no, 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 no. The question isn't, do you know about him? Do you know him? You say, well, I know the Bible. Do you know him? I know I, 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 I should go to church, so I go to church. Do you know him? I, I try to do more good than bad, and I think God will be favorable to me. No, no, the question is, do you know him? Because you know the Bible and because you go to church doesn't mean you know him. To know him, you must spend time with him. You must invest in that relationship and watch it grow. I'll give you an example. P people that work for the IRS know a lot of things about you. Matter of fact, they know things about you that if you knew they knew that, you would be mortified. They know more about you sometimes than you know about yourself. They know who you are as far as a name. They know where you work. They know how many kids you have. If you don't work now, they know how exactly how long you did work. Uh, they know your salary. They know your SS number. They know your address. They know your phone number, etc., 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 etc. But they don't know you. Matter of fact, if they met you on the street just from those facts, they couldn't recognize you. They couldn't pick you out of a crowd. But your dog, who doesn't know any of those facts about you, couldn't help but recognize you on the street, for that dog has spent a lot of time with you, and he or she knows you. It, and, and this is not trying to make this a comparison with God, but it's the same in that relationship with God. You, 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 you can know facts about God, or you could have spent a lot of time with him. And if you did, you'd know which person he was if he walked towards you or if you saw him in a crowd of people. That's the kind of K-N-O-W know that I'm talking about. Beloved, this gives reason for confidence in Jesus, God's Son. Jesus is, since he is the Lord of all, he is the Lord of the storms of life. Everything that comes our way, Jesus is still the Lord and over all of that. He's in control when we're not. He'll work out everything for our good, 
even though we can't see how that will happen right now because you see we're managing it now and we don't really need that extra help. We're doing pretty well. Mm. Look, even in life's storms, it is reasonable to trust God. Paul was in a terrible storm. But Jesus sustained him. Just because you're in a storm, listen, I want to say something else here that a lot of people get wrong. Just because you're in a storm in life, that doesn't mean that the Lord has forsaken you, my friend. Can I say that again if you weren't listening? Just because you're in a storm doesn't mean the Lord has forsaken you and doesn't know what you're going through. So the very first anchor is relationship with God. That's not knowing about God. That is knowing God. And so the second anchor is the Word of God. You see, God's Word, my friends, is stability in an unstable world. And I don't know if you've realized it yet or not, but one day soon you will, that we're all living in a very unstable world. We're living in a world of uncertainty, and in a world of uncertainty, you can trust the Word of the living God. I've got some people who aren't here today that usually uh, compose my amen corner, and I'd be hearing amens, and I'm, I'm, I'm getting, my ears are stopped up, and I'm not hearing. I know you're saying it, I'm just not hearing it, so say it a little louder. Amen. Yeah. We're living today in a day of confusion. Has anybody noticed that? See, relationships are confused. Families are confused. Governments are... It goes way beyond uncertainty and confusion. And those things rule and reign in our culture, in our society, and in our world. Speaking of a nation, speaking of government, speaking of governance, hear what Abraham Lincoln said nearly 160 years ago. America, listen, and whereas it is the duty of nations as well as of men to own their dependence upon the overruling power of God and to recognize the sublime truth announced in the Holy Scriptures and proven by all history that those nations only are blessed whose God is the Lord. Thank you, Mr. Lincoln. Remember that when everything is changing, the word hasn't changed. It does not change. When everything around you has changed almost to the point of beyond recognition, the word of God doesn't change. You would rightly ask, well, how could Paul, in that situation in Acts 27 that you just read, how could Paul be so at peace? Because he had the written Word of God's care. He also had a prophetic word from the angel. If you notice in verse 23 and 24, the angel said to him, you will stand before Caesar and none will perish. Those were tremendous words to hear. 
So Paul had this confidence, and he wrote about it in 2 Timothy 3.16. He said, all Scripture is God-breathed, and it's useful for teaching and rebuking and correcting and training in righteousness. Paul was a listener. Paul was a learner. Paul was a learned man. He was a scholar, but he kept learning. I like what one of America's most noted preachers has said, that the number one key or the first step to learning is humility. See, if you're arrogant and you already know it all and you have the answers whether you've heard the questions or not, you're not going to learn anything. But when you can bow your head before God and say, God, I don't know what this is. I don't know how to handle this. I don't know why I'm here. I don't know where I'm going. I don't know how to get where I'm going anyway. Uh, and I humble myself before you. You start learning. That's the first learning block. Now, you can't change the word. You can try to make it say something different than it says, but you can't change it. And I'll tell you why. Because the word is designed to change you. So don't try to change it. Now, here's what you ought to do is take the word of God. Some of you have done this, and I'm really proud of those of you that in the recent years have really taken this on, to get the word of God in your heart and in your soul and notice change. And if I were to go across the, the, the crowd this morning and say, how many have done this in the last couple of years and have made a concerted effort to get the word of God in your heart, in your soul, in your life, and ask you, are there any changes as a result of that? I guarantee you would say, changing every day. Changing all the time. The psalmist said this, that your word have I hid in my heart, Lord, that I might not sin against you, that I might be right in your sight. How? By putting the word of God in my heart and by learning it and growing in it and, and loving it. Let me, let me illustrate. Some years ago, a missionary uh, in Asia employed two Chinese scholars to translate the Gospels. And that was a big job because there's so many different Chinese dialects and, and characters and so on. But anyway, uh, he wanted the Gospel uh, message to be translated into the uh, Chinese language that they used. And after many months, it could have been years, I don't know, that work he asked for was complete. When these people translated, came back with the translation to give to the missionary, they said these words. We now are converts to Christ. You are? How did that happen? Well, the more we studied the sacred writings of the Chinese, the more obscure they became. And the longer we read the Gospels for translation, the more simple and intelligible they became until at last it seemed as if God, through Jesus, was talking with us directly. Just try it, friend. Get the Word of God into your heart and into your soul and into your life and watch things change. You probably never read this story, but I remember reading about this years ago. The bandit in India who was saved by reading Bible pages, pages out of a little Bible. At the time, he was using those pages to roll cigarettes. And before he rolled, he would always read what was on the page. And reading the pages of Scripture, he came to know Christ as his Savior. Light up, right? Mm. <laughs> That's enough. Some people would wonder, is Bible study and putting the Word of God in there, I mean, is that just what churchy people, religious people do because I don't have time for that? Is that really worthwhile? 
Or is it just a waste of time? Let me tell you, whatever you're doing in your life that is taking the place of you putting the Word of God, whatever it is in your life, that's a waste of time. And you'll see as you get near the end of life. You'll see as you look back on your life and see the opportunities you had. Uh, let me illustrate with another story from American history. One time Henry Ford, how many of you ever heard of him? Okay. I guess the rest of you drive Chevys. Anyway, Henry Ford, he hired an efficiency expert to evaluate his company. And after several weeks, the expert made his report, which was a favorable re report for the company and, and, and for the assembly line and for all the things that uh, Henry Ford had developed, except for one thing. And the expert said to Mr. Ford, he said, there's a man just down in the hallway from your office. It just seems every time I go by, <clears throat> he's sitting there in his office with his feet up on his desk and he's wasting your money. Mr. Ford replied, that man once had an idea that saved me millions of dollars. Oh, by the way, at the time, I believe his feet were planted right where they are now. Dear saints of God, listen. Maybe it'd be good for you to put your feet up and save yourselves a million dollars or maybe a million heartaches by reading and meditating on and knowing the precious word of God. That's anchor number two. Third anchor, by the way, before I get to the third anchor, let me just remind you because yeah, I don't want to get off track here. But let me remind you that God is able. I, I don't know where you are in your life right now. I don't know what's going on in your life. I don't really need to know. But can I just tell you that God, and I don't know what you need done. I don't know what you need, period. But can I just remind you that our God can do all things? Yeah, Bob, but you don't understand. Or you don't know where I've been, or you don't know what's been going on, or you don't really, you've never experienced this, so I don't know if you would really get it. I've got to admit, there's a lot I don't get, but I'm here to tell you one more time. Our God is capable of doing anything. Amen. Isn't that a simple statement? But how many times in our lives do we just fly right over that one. Are you facing a storm right now in your life? You see, every person we know, you and I, and every person you and I know, or even don't know, is either coming out of a storm, right now in the midst of a storm, or going to be facing a storm right around the corner. Because no life is exempt or free from storms. May I remind you that God has the power to do all things, so I don't know what it is you need done, 
but our, our God can do it. Stormy O'Mershon said, and I quote, there is only one power in the world great enough to help us rise above the difficult things we face, and that is the power of God. Look, if God has the power to cause an axe head to float, ever heard of that story? <laughs> ever heard of that story? Okay, good. This is yes. This is... I'm almost gone. Turn the heat down. If God can ca cause a donkey to talk, if, God, if you don't believe that, just listen to what's going on in Washington. If God has the... Oh, now I'm with you. Yeah, I got you with me. If God has the power to split the Red Sea and the Jordan River, if God can raise the dead, even some of you, if God can tell the thunder and lightning to cease, if kings and kingdoms and nations and tyrants have attempted over and over again unsuccessfully to withstand the power and the might of our God, if God stretched the northern sky over empty space and hung the earth, the Bible says, on nothing, if God wrapped the rain in his thick clouds, if God covers the face of the moon shrouding it with clouds. I don't know if you looked up last night, but it was a beautiful picture. The moon was there. You could tell it was shining, but it was shrouded in cloud. What a beautiful picture. If God established the horizon and he set the boundary between day and night, if the foundations of he heaven tremble and, and shudder, uh, at his rebuke, if God is the absolute, final, and ultimate authority of all things, if God determined the number of the stars and gave them all names, if God holds the power to heal, and he does, if God sustains everything by the mighty power of his command, if God destroyed 185,000 Assyrian soldiers in one night, if God showed his power with fire from heaven on Mount Carmel, where 850 false prophets of Baal and of Asherah were defeated and destroyed, if God enabled people on the day of Pentecost to hear a clear presentation of the good news of salvation in Christ and hear it in at least 16 different dialects, all in their own native languages, simultaneously, if God is the source of all hope, who lives to bring us an overflow of joy, if God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power and of love and of self-discipline, get all those words, if if God, by his power alone, has given us everything we need in this life and for the next, hallelujah, and if he will reign without, with great power throughout all of eternity, then I firmly believe, and I want to reaffirm before you good people today, that our God has the power to keep me safe through all the storms of my life. Are you in agreement? Third anchor, the people of God. I, I, I want to stress here for a moment the importance of fellow believers. A wise man once wrote, and you yourself can find it in Ecclesiastes chapter 4, starting at verse 9. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. And give whatever help they can. 
But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Hmm. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves, and a cord of three strands is not quickly broken. And if you don't believe it, take a cord of two strands and take a cord of three strands and tell me which one is stronger. And the, the three-strand cord is stronger by multiple, multiple times. That illustration tells me that in times of trial, believers are to pray for each other, listen, I'm not done, and give whatever help they can. What's the, what seems to be the immediate reaction when we find somebody, a fellow believer, a fellow church person, whatever, whoever, who has fallen into disrepair, they've fallen into sin, uh, they're going through a, a, a real problem, they're facing a storm, you may know a little bit about it, you probably don't know much, you may know nothing. Here's what F.B. Myers said when he said, when, when you see a brother or a sister having these problems, there are three things. Always remember this, Christian. There are three things you don't know. First, you don't know how hard that person tried not to be in that situation. Secondly, you don't know the power of the forces that assail that person, him or her. I'm going to wait till I have everyone's attention. And thirdly, we also don't know what we would have done under the exact same circumstances. That one comes home to bite you every time. Do you know that most of... I'm saying some things here today you've never heard before, and so it's probably hard to digest it all. But let me just say this. Okay, we're getting a lot of traffic here. Most of our hurts come through relationships. Now, I don't just mean man and woman or husband and wife or marital. I'm saying relationships. And because that's true, most of our healing will also come through relationships. You didn't get in that mess by yourself. You're not getting out by yourself either. I like the old spirit, you know, that we're, we're just, I'm strong. I can handle it. Everything's good. Don't need no help. Mm. You're a warrior. You know, thought of this too. It's worth it's worthy of notating, although I don't have it on the screen for you. Grace hardly and barely and rarely makes sense to those looking in from outside. You know, if, 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 if the, you and I are talking about a third person and the third person you think is just a wipeout and there's nothing you can do to help, and I say, well, I just want to handle that with the grace of God and so on. 
That's pretty hard for you to understand that if you're not exercising the grace of God. And if you've not seen the grace of God work in your own life, it's even harder for you to understand that. The truth is we all have seen the grace of God work in our lives, but we just haven't recognized it or we just haven't remembered that. How many of you have been encouraged by another Christian believer ever? And I do want to see your hand. Don't, don't play games with me here. Great. We're here, and I don't mean we as a church or we this number of people, but I mean we as a Christian body are here to help you through your storm, and we are actually one of your anchors. We're one of the four anchors. And in my storm, you're one of my anchors. And in your storm, I'm one of your anchors, and that person next to you is one of your anchors, and the person that you really confide in is one of your anchors, and the person that has come to your side to help you and encourage you and bless you, that's one of your anchors. You know, in this journey in Acts chapter 27, the wonderful cruise that we're on, Paul actually had friends on that journey. And i got to tell you, going on a cruise all by yourself, I would think would be kind of dull, but if you've got somebody else with you, it can be so much fun. I don't think I've ever enjoyed vacations like that. It's just a wonderful time. Well, in Acts chapter 27, verse 3, it mentions Paul's friends at Sidon, where their ship stopped on the journey. And I find that interesting, because nowhere in Scripture is there any mention of a church or a body of believers at Sidon. But these were believers who ministered to the needs that Paul had. And I thought that was encouraging. And then on the ship, of course, he wasn't alone. At least he had his friends Luke, who was writing this, and Aristarchus, verse 2 says, and Luke went along because he was a, Paul's physician, he was the doctor. But Aristarchus, well, why would the centurion let a, th a third party come along? He's supposed to be accompanying Paul to stand trial before Caesar. He shouldn't be bringing somebody with him. And no scholar has really nailed this as to why he would come. Some have said he became Paul's personal slave in order to accompany him. That might be true. But I don't know why. I looked at this and I couldn't come up with a good answer. But I know this, that God always has the right person stand by us at the right time for the right reason. And listen, let me put in a parenthesis. It would, is not always the person that we might choose as the first person we'd want. Not saying it couldn't be or wouldn't be, but it's not always. But God always has the right person to stand by us at the right time for the right purpose. Fellow pilgrim, we're on a journey. Let God's people help you through your storms. That is not the time to go into a shell. That's the time to be open and transparent. So that's the third anchor. And it's a very important anchor. And it's one the Christian church should be practicing all the time without meddling in anybody's business, but just showing compassion and care and love and concern. And the fourth anchor, this one I love, patient, Endurance. Patience isn't easy. True or false? True. True. 
Patience isn't easy. If you're sitting there right now and you're holding on to the chair like this, be patient because I'm not through. <laughs> Loosen your grip. Patience isn't easy. True? Yeah, and if you say that one more time, I'm going to lose my patience. <laughs> I love the story of Phillips Brooks. He was a wonderful, very famous pastor of, here in the Northeast in the last century. He was found in his office one day in his study, pacing the floor, pacing the floor. Frustrated. I know you thought pastors never get frustrated. A friend walked in. He said, Pastor Brooks, what's the matter? Here's what he said. Well, I'm in a hurry and God isn't. How many in this room can relate to that besides me? Hmm. Hello? I, I, I'm in a furious hurry. I, I've got to do this and I've got to do that and I've got to get it done and I've got this and I've got another one and then I've got a deadline on top of that and I've got to come back and do these and I don't know how I'm going to do it tomorrow and next week it'll be another thing and probably two years from now, uh, two years from a week from next Friday, I'm going to, and I'm just, I'm in a hurry, I'm in a hurry. And then you realize God's not in a hurry. God's never late. It's just he doesn't arrive on the scene when you want him there. He's always on time. Hebrews 10.36, the writer says, You have need of patience, or the word in your Bible might be perseverance, that after you have done the will of God, you might receive the promise. What is it? The promise of God. The thing that God has promised you. So patience is simply, literally, putting it into, into theological terms. Patience, <coughs> excuse me, is letting your motor idle when you feel like stripping your gears. And for some, probably even in this room, you don't even know what stripping your gears means because you stripped yours so long ago, it's like you have rubber gears, like you're just straight ahead, never even put the brake on. And God says, hold up. You're in a hurry. But I'm not. I'm not. Hmm. Let me look at this cruise that Paul's on. Endurance, what is it? What's it mean? My definition is it's, it means to struggle on. 
How can I get that from Acts 27? Look. It had been two long weeks, 14 days, on that terrible ship. Wet. This was not the Queen Mary 2. No, no. Wet and cold and tossed around constantly and crammed in there. You, did you notice how many people were on the cruise? 276. You thought, oh, it's Paul and Luke and, and Paul's buddy and maybe 10 other people, a little crew. No, no. 276 people, I would say, after two weeks, nobody is, feels like talking. Nobody feels like eating. Certainly nobody feels like smiling. They don't feel like doing anything at all much. And Paul's still hearing from God. He had endurance. And endurance is not something you have or don't have. Stay with me. Stay with me if you wouldn't mind. You might get something that will help you. Paul had endurance, but endurance must be developed. We don't automatically have it. Oh, you're so patient. And I'm not. And I never have been. I probably never will be. No, you probably won't with that attitude. I don't think there's any probably to it. These are things that are developed. Patience and endurance. Try it. You'll love it. Keep on. I love. I was listening to Brian Houston just a few days ago, and here's what he said, and I had to write the quote down immediately. He said, the end of an era is not the completion of a destiny. Whew. Preach it, brother. The end of an era is not the completion of a destiny. Your journey's not done. You heard me say it last time. If you're not dead, you're not done. Here's what the Lord Jesus said through James, our, the pastor, <laughs> in chapter 1 and verse 12. Blessed is the man or woman that endures temptation, for when they are tried, they shall receive the crown of life which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. Boy, that's great. We're working for crowns. See, it's not the one who starts the race. It's the one who finishes the race that gets the prize. I don't much care how many people signed up to go into the Boston Marathon. Those, and I'm, with all due respect to their person, that's fine. That's lovely. But it's the ones who cross the finish line who say, I ran the Boston Marathon, or I came 394th. Whoopee for me! I wouldn't do anything to come in 394th, but whatever. That's good. It's good for your body to go do it. And it's good for bragging rights because I, I just said I'm one that wouldn't, wouldn't do it because I couldn't do it because I don't have the mindset for that. But those that endure have that mindset, and they can do it. Glory to God for them. And then in Revelation 3, we read these words, To him that overcomes will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as, this is Jesus speaking, even as I also overcame, overcame and am set down with my Father in his throne. And then in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7, Paul said this to Timothy, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course, and I have kept the faith. Ah, my prayer for every person under the sound of my voice is that we'll be able to say those words before we die too. 
I fought a good fight. I finished my course. I've kept the faith. A man happened to meet the pastor of his church on the street one day. And during conversation, he told him all the troubles that he'd been having during the past year. I don't think he left out any. Took him almost a year to say it, probably. And here's how he wound up with the pastor, being a little nervous and not knowing what to say. He said, Pastor, I'll tell you right now. It's enough to make a man lose his faith. Without even two breaths, the pastor replied, hmm. Quietly, he said, it seems to me it's enough to make a man use his faith. You go through the storm of life. It's not about losing your faith. Friend, friend, friend. It's about using your faith. That's when you need it. That's when it means something. That's when you find out if it's real. That's when you find out what you're made of and what your faith is made of. Do you know the storms of life are some of God's best tools? I've heard more testimonies of people saying, if I'd never gone through this, I'd never ever had a clue of what God wanted in my life and for my life. And though I don't believe he causes every storm, I just don't. I know that he uses every storm. Let's not blame every storm on God, all right? But let's thank him that he can use that storm for our good, our benefit, and his glory, right? right. You know, when the storm hits, I know some of you have uh, understood this more uh, poignantly in the last year or two. When the storm hits, that's often the time that we start thinking about what's really important. Huh? Now, we lay all this other stuff aside because you know what? That's <laughs> not the most important thing right now. God's brought this storm into my life and I'm learning now what's really important. Now, if you go to the 20th verse, I mentioned this a moment ago and I'm going to go back to it and then we'll finish up. In verse 20, the writer, Luke, says this. We, this was a bad storm. 20 verses in, here's what he writes. We finally gave up all hope of being saved. I want to share my heart with you. I think that is one of the saddest verses in the Bible. I'm not done. But I also think it's one of the best verses in the Bible. Stay with me, and I'll explain that. You see, it was when they finally gave up all their own efforts and they looked only to God that the angel of deliverance showed up. They'd done everything they knew to do. They trimmed the sails. They dumped the cargo overboard. They cleared the decks. They put ropes around the ship to keep it together, which was a mistake, by the way, because those ropes came off the anchors and they didn't have enough rope to fully secure those anchors. One of the reasons they tossed around them. But you know, that just tells you that our own efforts in getting through the storm are never enough. We need extra help. We need, uh, uh, we need outside help. And they exhausted all their efforts, and God said, all right, now I'm going to help you. See, man's extremity is God's opportunity. 
I remember the account of a lifeguard. I could hardly believe this story when I read about it. He saw a man who was in trouble on his watch, and he got down off his perch, and he stood on the bank, and he watched this drowning man flailing in the water until he just started bobbing and going down. And then he jumped, then the lifeguard jumped in, and later he was asked by an innocent bystander, he said, why did you wait so long to offer assistance to that man? Here's what he said. He said, if I'd tried while he still had all that strength, he probably would have drowned himself and me too. But once he was exhausted, I could control him and I could save him, thank God. So I did. Oh, my. Oh, my. Oh, boy. I see something. God can't save you from your storms until you're ready to surrender. I see it coming. I knew there was something in here that I hadn't seen before. I knew there was something in here that the Holy Spirit wanted to bring home to us this morning. I knew there was something here that would help people today, right now, where they're living, and in the storm that they might be facing. God can't save you from your storm until you're ready to surrender. Until you're ready to surrender. Are you ready? Are you ready to let God handle your problems? And I'm not saying you've done a bad job if you're trying to handle them, but you don't want to spend all your life trying to handle them when God says, just, just get to the end of yourself. Are you ready to let him take the wheel of the direction of your life, or do you want to still control it? He's the God who knows the future and he knows the direction that your, your life needs to go. And I wonder how many of you might be sitting in the room and you're in a storm right now. You may be struggling. You can't seem to make any headway. You, you go two steps ahead and three back. You go one step ahead and two back. You go to the left when you should go to the right. You stand still when you should be moving. I mean, I think pretty well anybody that's got any age on them has been there. We all know how you feel, but you don't seem to be make any, making any headway against your circumstances and against your storm. We love you, and we care about you, and we're concerned for you, and we understand that. But I wonder if today could be the day that you could decide you're going to try no longer by yourself. No longer are you going to take the wheel. But now you're ready to let God step in and do it for you. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to share a song message. A lot of you know it. That's fine. That's great. I'm going to share a song message. And I want us to all sit and listen to this. And if you want to sing along, that's fine. And then... I want to have prayer for you and with you because I'm concerned and because I feel you're hurt and because I sense someone needs it. Now, this is part, song is part of my message. This is not intermission. We're not serving popcorn. There's not a sideshow going on behind the curtain. This is part of the whole morning right here because as soon as this song ends, I'm going to pray. And if you've got a need this morning, and if you're in a storm this morning, and if anything that's been said kind of you kind of identify with, and it more or less describes you or where you are, 
I want to pray for you. I want to pray for you. So as part of this message, will you listen to this song and then hold tight to your seat while I come right after that song and pray for you. When the solid ground is falling out from underneath my feet Between the black skies and my red eyes I can barely see And when I'm feeling like I've been let down by my friends and my family I can hear the rain reminding me In the eye of the storm You remain in control When my hopes and dreams are far from me and I'm running out of faith, I see the future I picture slowly fade away. And when the tears of pain and heartache are pouring down my face, I find my peace in Jesus' name. In the eye of the storm, you remain in control. I'm gonna make ends meet I did my best Now I'm scared to death That we might lose everything And when a sickness takes My child away And there's nothing I can do My only hope Is to trust you I trust you Lord In the eye of the storm You remain in control In the middle of the war, you guard my soul. You alone are the anchor when my sails are torn. Your love surrounds me in the eye of the storm. Let's pray together. Friend, if you're here this morning and you're in the eye of the storm. Storm's raging. Or maybe you've just come through a storm and you're 
looking for some some pleasant seas. Or maybe you've jumped from one storm to another. You've lost direction. You've lost purpose. You question why even go on and you're in a storm. If that's you this morning, nobody's looking to see who's doing what. If you just slip your hand in the air, I'm not going to call you out, I'm not going to say your name, I'm not going to ask you to hold your hand up for 10 minutes, just so I know I have someone to pray for. Because I want to put you in this prayer collectively. If you just slip your hand up so I see it. I'm in a storm. I've been in a storm. Thank you. Thank you. Life is a storm. There's a storm all around. Thank you. Precious Heavenly Father, you alone are the anchor. You alone are the answer. You alone are the God of compassion. You care about us. And so, Lord, for every storm that's been identified here this morning, and every dear friend who is trying to weather that storm, we ask that you might come around each one, cover them with your love, and Lord, just do a work of grace in the lives that have been represented here this morning. And there have been several, and Lord, you know every person. You know their need. You know where they are. You know what you want for them. And Lord, help them to grab these anchors, the anchor of relationship with God and the Word of God and the people of God and patient, patient endurance. Heal and strengthen and bless. Lord, that they might become testimonies of the one who brought them through the eye of the storm. And we'll thank you for it. For we pray these things with confidence in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.